Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. How did a group of humble factory workers become a phenomenal sports success story and the pride of the entire nation? Julian Farrow's wonderful film called Witches of the Orient chronicles this amazing story of the rise of the Japanese women's volleyball team, all the way from its humble beginnings of these factory worker women, all the way to the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. It is a terrific film. You can check this out. Before we get started, I want to let people know how they can find out more about the film by going to the film distributor, Kim Stim, and uh, and I urge you to check it out. The film, again, is called Witches of the Orient, and we're joined today by the director, Julian Farrow. Julian, welcome to Film School Radio. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Mike, for your invitation. How did this come across your radar, this story of these Japanese uh, women? Well, um, I'm in charge of a, of a film collection. It's a small cinematheque owned by the French Sports Institute in France, in Paris. And um, 10 years ago, a former um, volleyball trainer, a French trainer, um, came to me with um, a 60 millimeter um, film. So we watched it and I, discovered for the very first time the witches of the orient so i, I saw the, the training session and i was really stunned by what i saw by the speed of their move by the intensity of their drills and it's also uh, rang a bell and it reminded me very uh, swiftly to the, the anime that i used to watch uh, when i was a kid i just found out that the two were linked and it was so much alike that um, I was stunned because everybody in France and in whole Europe uh, knows about those uh, volleyball anime. Barely no one knows that it was inspired by a true story. Yeah. So it was just a, a huge discovery. And I was, wow, I can't believe it, my eyes, because it was so much alike. And the anime were not only um, inspired by a story, but inspired by, by the footage themselves. So it, it was very interesting to, to discover that in terms of frame, uh, of image composition, it was very much alike. And that's why it was so easy to edit the two and to play uh, this kind of mashup between the two. And uh, I, I really enjoy making this film. Well, and thank you for bringing that into the conversation. This film is, as your other film that I'm familiar with, John McEnroe, In the Realm of Perfection, you introduce elements into the storytelling that are not what some people might call traditional documentary formatting of, of a telling of a story. And in this one, you're talking about the anime, you're talking about sort of all of the different parts, visual parts of the story that you're, you introduce into it. And... One of them is at the very beginning of the film, we see, which is true of this, uh, of the, the women who were on the volleyball team, they worked in a factory. And how that, in my mind, visually and in a way psychologically plays out 
in the story, their story. So um, it's such an important element in telling their story. The fact they worked in a factory and these women were uh, part of a team and then they became part of this other team. And um, tell me a little bit about if I, if this sounds um, correct or if you like to amend what I'm saying, but how much of that did that play into the way that they were as a team and the way that you told the story? Yeah, for sure. It was a very important dimension. And uh, the film is, as you said, maybe um, unusual for, for TV uh, standard, for the documentary style uh, on TV. The film is quite hybrid and play with many layers. The fact that I play with all these uh, elements and try to interweave uh, those elements is just because I thought that it was uh, the case in reality. The, their achievement in their, on, on the field of sports were for sure related to the, the huge effort of uh, Japan to recover from uh, the Second World War. They did an industrial training, yeah. if you will, uh, with many repetition and uh, with in time in terms of uh, of time spending on, on the on the court, but also the the intensity. It looks like it's not only a handcraft; it's industrial. It's huge uh, machine, and and and, um, and also for the anime. We, we know more about the anime than the, 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 the story that inspired the anime themselves. So everything was kind of uh, mixed up. I thought it was a good idea to, to add more confusion to this very confused and to very complex um, situation. So uh, um, the fact that they, they were uh, employed in a, in a textile factory uh, play a very important role it was very relevant of a period of an era of, of, of a country, Japan. We are not used in Europe, and I guess it's not the, uh, it's the same in, uh, as well in, in the United States. Companies are not so involved in uh, high-level sports, but in Japan, uh, university played a great role in, in the beginning of the sports, uh, men and women. But when they had to turn to professional sports, the companies really... Uh, help to pay for these uh, athletes. And so Nichibo was a textile factory, but they're, they're, they're be, uh, the, the best uh, uh, team were from Yashika, the um, camera um, company. So in many uh, uh, different uh, industrial uh, group and company, after the Second World War, they, they decided to, to have a, a competitive uh, um, a high level um, team. To, to win uh, the, the domestic uh, titles, the, the, type, the Japanese, uh, to be the Japanese uh, uh, champ. So they want to maybe to, um, to deport their industrial um, competition to the field of sports. So it was very Japanese. Watching Witches of the Orient, I'm reminded of just what a Herculean effort it would have taken for the Japanese economy and society to recover after World War II. And one of the elements certainly has to be, you know, the sheer devastation of their industrial base. There was the dropping of two atomic weapons on, on that country, not only the physical toll that it would have taken, but kind of the psychological toll of having to admit 
that they lost the war, the, the shame of, of the emperor. There are a lot of things that happen to that country. And I'm, this is not a, I'm not making a judgment on their culpability for in World War II here, but I'm just saying in terms of the sheer effort it would have taken to kind of recover from all of that is pretty remarkable. I think we can all say what they were able to accomplish in the post-World War II era and for many years. And and this kind of dedication to, to setting a goal and achieving that is evident in this film. At least it feels like that to me. But it's also something that's basically, from my, from my point of view, I knew little to nothing about. This film, which is of the Orient, also gives me an insight into the culture and to the country and to their recovery from the devastation of World War II. Yeah, it's uh, amazing how speed was their recovery. And uh, that's why I want to include this stunning uh, footage from the U.S. Army of Tokyo uh, devastated. You know, we are more used of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki um, pictures, but Tokyo was a no man's land. 20 years after this uh, field of, of death, uh, they welcomed the world for, for the Olympic Games with uh, Skype scrappers, uh, super fast trains, uh, robots, um, uh, color TV, etc., uh, etc. Et so in 20 years, so it's amazing. One quick thing, in addition to the atomic weapons that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there was the firebombing of the city of Tokyo. The devastation in terms of the loss of life was greater than that of the loss of life in, in Hiroshima. So it gives you some, I, to give some context to the recovery. Exactly, yeah. Um, the, the, the weapons and the bomb were more traditional, but they were, they were not less uh, um, fatal and, and, and dangerous, yeah, for sure. In terms of, uh, of image, I think it was very interesting to start a long sequence with Tokyo in black and white uh, just after the war. This sequence where we can <clears throat> experience all this uh, this new uh, industrial technology. It's amazing how, how fast and how yeah. speed they, they, they just recover. And of course, the the witches are, are in the middle of this uh, great effort and and hard work and collective. It was a really collective. Uh, um, effort. I also discovered because uh, I was not aware of that uh, before I, I met them. But it was also very moving uh, to learn that there were the, the great majority of the players were fatherless. The trainer was also uh, very uh, important for them as young uh, grown-up, just to have something that you can follow. You know, like a, a leading fig figure and someone that can give you advice in your life. So. I was not aware of this dimension and uh, links to the to this uh, post-war generation. So their story is not you can't isolate from the rest of Japan of uh, and also of uh, manga and, and anime because uh, they create without knowing it that they create a long tradition of, of uh, anime. Uh, yeah. Attack Number One was the very first shojo. It's the name for uh, manga. Uh, create for uh, for girls instead of shonen, which is a manga for for boys, and it was the very first sh shojo on sports. So they, they also changed high level sports were always related to to boys and male, and for the first time it was also a matter and um, in a case 
uh, of women of female so uh, they change also the mentality uh, this story just there's it, it's an intersection of so many different elements and thank you for bringing us back to really the heart and soul of the, the film which is these women and the, the film opens with them having getting together for a meal and we see that a beautiful shot that sort of tracking shot around the table with them and so you introduce us to them and now in the in advanced ages shall we say that they are but they all are very vital very, very connected and very um, present in the film. And it's, it's just wonderful to see, in, as you described, unknowingly became these uh, symbols, these embodiment of women in a society that hasn't always, at least outwardly to the, to the rest of the world, um, given women the, the due that they deserve. So this is another part of it, and you're bringing in the coach, and I know I'm going to butcher his name, but Hirofumi Daimatsu, okay. who is a very important person in this film uh, and uh, and the role he plays. There is an element in the film in which the training methods are borderline abusive, or are they, in fact, ne necessary for for them to become the team that they become. So there's there's a lot of elements in this film. I want people to know that you are seeing a documentary about this incredible story of the women, uh, the volleyball, the Japanese volleyball team who goes on to the Olympic games in, in 1960, but it is so much more. There's so many other elements in here, but it's about these women. And that's really the heart and soul of the film. Yeah, true, especially in this, um... Me Too era and other um, very sad news um, in every country, in Japan, in the US, in France, about harassment. Um, so it, it, it was sometimes touchy to, to speak or uh, to, to show something on this subject. So that, that's why I decided not to write um, a voiceover myself, but to, bring, to, uh, to give the players the opportunity to tell their story by their own. It was very important to hear from them to, to get their testimony because when I started to to know more about this this story I read many um, articles and especially uh, I remember and I quote this article in a film Sports Illustrated the famous uh, US uh, newspaper uh, magazine and they, they were very uh, I think they, they misunderstood the, um, the whole thing the journalists just uh, pretend to to speak in the name of uh, women's dignity, of uh, women's emancipation, but on the contrary, it was just bringing back uh, women to their mother uh, at home uh, position and traditional uh, position. And very strangely, because Japan was maybe more misogynist and patriarchal than, than our Western countries, but strangely, Daimatsu gave a chance to, to these women because uh, he knew that uh, women were were able to to do it too. It was not a standard in our Western countries. If I if we go back in the sixties in France, women were allowed socially allowed to do almost everything. They were allowed to drink alcohol, but not too much, not as much as men. It was not well accepted uh, to get drunk in, in public. They were allowed to to practice some sports, but sparingly, not too much. And for the first time, um, Westerners just face a group of women that train uh, too much with excess. And um, they were shocked and they didn't like 
how they treat women. And they, they would probably be, have not been uh, shocked by to train a group of men. And I really, uh, this, this ambiguity, this complexity really just um, excite me. I, I said, okay, let's add more complexity to this uh, complex problem and um, issue. So because I, I was maybe more familiar to uh, high-level sport, I really, I really thought that those women were not uh, mistreated. But they were just real high-level athletes. They, they knew that they have to train a lot to, to be the best and to beat the, the Soviet Union, and they were just they trust this man. So I, I tried just to to be sure that I was not um, wrong or my, myself as well. But many elements just um, bring me uh, bring me some some clues, some some good uh, points. The first one is uh, most of the players. They keep playing. It's amazing that they play volleyball. So I didn't. It was not so traumatic because uh, they probably had quit for for a long time ago. They were also very healthy. Uh, very healthy. When you when you watch the, their training, you probably felt that they they were crushed. And it's very usual to meet uh, high level athletes that when they they turn to their fifties or sixties, they were just totally broken. And this was not the case. Were, when I met them, they, are, they feel and look like very healthy. And uh, also another, um, a very hard, uh, harsh sequence in the footage is where Tanida-san is uh, lying in the, on the floor and Daimetsu kept throwing balls on her. And she, she tried to, to get up and she tried to protect her head and so it's very uh, rude, and you you probably thought that uh, he was a wicked man and uh, almost unbearable. But at the end, Tanida, there she pushed him yes. physically. She pushed him two times, and said, "Okay, enough is enough. I understood. I was not in the good shape maybe today. You give me what I deserve, but stop it." And I was I I thought that this sequence was really relevant of something uh, sane between the two. Yeah. I, I used to play in a team sports and I, I would never have been there to touch my, my, my trainer. No way. No way I can touch and push my trainer. But in this case, Tanida just pushed him. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, they have this relationship. She knows that uh, his role was to push her to, to their limit. And okay, she has enough. But I, I feel that this um, this move, this gesture, was really relevant of something that was not um, a, a bad treatment, but um, just yeah. a high level um, uh, training session. Would be, and it is easy to to pull out footage here and there. And if that's all you saw, you would say, "Well, this is just abuse. This is this is a, this is too much." But in the film, we have an opportunity, The Witches of the Orient, we have an opportunity, there's the context of it. And just as you described it, this relationship that they have with him. We're speaking with Julian Farrow, the director of the documentary film, The Witches of the Orient. It is available through Kim Stim. You should go to the Kim Stim uh, site to check it out. It's, it's there under The Witches of the Orient. It is opening in theaters on July 16th. 
be looking for this because it's, first of all, it's a remarkable story. Just if you just said what the story was, these factory worker women went on to win the Olympics in, in volleyball, that would be enough. But there is so much more in this film. There's so much more to their stories as well as we, as we've been talking about the story of Japan culturally and also the world's view of Japan. I think this had probably had a tremendous impact on the world's perception of Japan in 1964. And um, so there's a lot of different elements here. I'm going to go back to this part of the discussion, part of the story, this class distinction. They were factory workers. That had to also be, again, you described it already, but I think it's just such an important thing. We tend to think of these athletes coming from elite schools here in the United States. They, they're sort of groomed to become these superb athletes. This was a very different story. And I, I just think it's such an important part of it. Yeah. Uh, I remember when, when we talked about this, uh, they all explained that their, their parents were very proud that Nichibo hired them. It was a, a real improvement and social uh, step up, right? They, they really uh, feel that very proud to be, uh, to be hired for, for their volleyball um, capacity, but also to, to become, to, to enter um, the, the Nichibo uh, company. And which is also very, very uh, unusual. You, you know that if you have to send um, a volleyball uh, team USA uh, to the Olympics, you will probably have to, to do a selection, just uh, choose the, the best players of the whole country, of the whole territory. But in this case, all the teammates are just living, uh, working and training in the same factory. So this is not a national selection. <laughs> it's just a corporate team, which is absolutely uh, unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story. And that's, that is one of the great things about sports, as you know, Julian, that there are, there are a lot of stories of people in sports who, if it didn't actually happen, you wouldn't believe it. And uh, this is certainly one of those kind of stories. Uh, again, I, my congratulations to you on The Witches of the Orient. And it is a documentary film. It's already garnered a lot of attention and it will continue to. I think it's, uh, it's unique. And your telling of the story is superb. It's just a well-told story. And you were able to get all of the people that I think made this not just the story of a team, an, uh, an Olympian team, but also so much more than that about them and their families and their lives. And there's a lot here. So I, my congratulations to you on a superb documentary film. Thank you very much uh, for your very nice and kind words and the pleasure was all mine. Yeah. Thank well, thank you. Uh, we've been talking with the director of the Witches of the Orient, and that would be Julian Furrow. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music